All right, if you got a Bible, would you go to Psalm 19? Psalm 19, we want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. Uh, my guess is all of you have certain songs uh, in your life that, uh, that you go to from time to time. No, I'm not going to sing and dance again this week. I know you want it, but, but we're not going to do that. Um, if you're like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, you'll have to watch the last week's. Uh, but you have songs that you go to. It may be uh, songs that you sing as you're driving in the car down the road, songs you sing when you're in the shower, uh, songs that uh, you listen to at a wedding, songs that take you back to high school. I mean, all of us have this kind of relationship with music. And uh, there's different moods that we want to be in, different occasions of life that we want to experience, and, and songs have a way of doing that for us. Well, we are in a series called Mixtape. Uh, we're in the book of Psalms because God has actually put a book together called the Psalms, which is a collection of songs for different seasons of life that we can go to, and they're unbelievably practical. And uh, it's amazing how these songs really meet us in the everyday of life. And so uh, we're going to continue in that this morning by looking at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Now, this is a psalm that's extremely popular. In fact, a lot of people have even shared, like, this is my favorite psalm. Of all 150 songs, this is one of my favorites. And so let's look at it this morning, and I think we're going to discover that it really speaks to a critical uh, issue in our life. In fact, maybe the most important issue in life. Let's look at Psalm 19. If you can stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 19, let's look at verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commands of the Lord's pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. What a beautiful song. Let's ask God to teach us what this song means. Father, thank you for the privilege of being together. Uh, we get the opportunity to now be under the authority of your word. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Give us this song. I, I want all of us today to leave knowing you more and pursuing the knowledge of you personally we ask in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Anybody um, sci-fi fans? 
Anybody like science fiction, right? Sci-fi movies and all that? Yeah, several of you do. Well, if you like science fiction, you've probably heard the name of H.G. Wells. Uh, Wells was a very famous author and writer in the early 20th century. In fact, many consider him to be the father of science fiction, or at least one of the fathers of science fiction. Here are some of the works that he, he did. The Time Machine, you may be familiar with that. The one that I'm probably most familiar with, you may be as well, is The War of the Worlds, right? Tom Cruise movie, even just a few years ago. Uh, but one of the famous stories that Wells wrote was a story by the name of The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Anybody ever seen the movie? All right, it's, it's, it's a little old, right? But uh, here, here's the deal. And I think this is, this is really relevant to us, if you'll follow along. The story is about a man by the name of Griffin. He's a scientist that has developed a chemical solution that makes him invisible. The problem is he doesn't know how to reverse it. So he's invisible, but he's stuck. And maybe like when you were a kid, you thought how cool it would be to be invisible, but not so much in this story. He has to walk around town covered in bandages. He wraps himself completely up. And everybody starts wondering, who is this guy and where did he come from and what's wrong with him? And then finally he has to reveal the identity that he's been trying to hide, that he is the invisible man. And it's at this point that all kinds of chaos and conflict begins to happen. He's unable to relate to people. He can't build relationships. Everybody's afraid of him. They blame him for everything wrong in the community. In fact, he even, because of this disconnect and tension and conflict, goes mad. And what Wells does throughout the story is he builds this reality that people have a difficult time relating to an invisible man. They have a real difficulty, a real challenge being able to relate to someone they can't see. Now, science fiction aside, every one of us here this morning knows that to be true. Even in human ways, we struggle with relating with people that we don't see, that we don't interact with. Maybe it's a father who is never around. Very difficult to build a relationship that way. Maybe it's a spouse serving overseas. Maybe it's children that never come home. All of us know that it's very difficult to build a relationship with someone who feels absent. If that's true, and it is, with human relationships, how much more are trying to relate to an invisible God? Are you with me? Anybody ever been at that point in your Christian life? Or maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're just checking out the whole church thing. You're not even sure about Jesus. But all of us know that feeling of, how do I relate to a God I can't see? And we've all had that desire that, God, I would believe if I could just see it or if you would just give me a, a specific verbal, audible word. The, the, the tension I have so often with God is I can't see him. If he would just reveal himself, then I could know him. 
If you have ever been there, and friends, you're going to be there at some point, I have great news for you, and that is God has given us a song for that. Psalm 19 is, and this may be one of the most important issues in all of life, Psalm 19 is about this, how the invisible God has revealed himself that we might know him. That, it doesn't get any bigger than that, that how the invisible God has revealed himself so that we can know him. I want you to know this today, wherever you are, listen to me, you today can know God. You today can relate to the God that you cannot see. Let's look at Psalm 19. David starts here by reflecting on the visual revelation of God in creation. Notice what he says that creation is doing. And these are some of the the real famous verses of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech Night to night reveals knowledge. Look at verse 4. The voice goes throughout all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. David is saying he's a shepherd who has spent many a night staring into the sky, many a day looking out over creation. And he says, there's one thing I know creation is doing. It has a message it's screaming 24-7, 365 days a year. God is glorious. God is glorious. God is glorious. In fact, have you ever been around somebody who just won't stop talking? Don't point, all right? I don't want you to be like, yeah, you, right? No. But I mean, they just ramble on and on and on, and they talk and talk and talk and talk, and sometimes you just want to say, could you be quiet for just a moment? Can we just be still and be silent? What David is saying, not in a negative way, but in a good way, is creation will not be quiet in screaming and declaring and proclaiming that God is glorious. And this is what Paul says as well in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He says, His, that is God's, invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, Divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. David is saying, Paul is saying, if you just stop and look at the handiwork of God, if you would just stop and look at creation, there are things that you could understand about God. It's like this word, handiwork. I brought here this amazing piece of art that I keep in my office, right? My my little girl drew this for me, and my guess is if you're a parent or a grandparent, you probably have a few of these on your refrigerator, anybody, or laying around the house, right? I mean, when you look at this, and don't, don't misunderstand, I love my little girl, right? Maybe something will develop someday, right? But you, you, don't, you don't look at this and go, oh, Picasso, right? I mean, you're not going to go to an art show or an art gallery and see this hanging on the wall, right? Why? You look at it, I don't even have to tell you who drew it, and you would come to the conclusion what? This is the drawing of a child. The handiwork, without saying a word, says something to you about the Creator. Now, if you were to take this and say, look at a Van Gogh, 
right? I, I didn't bring my copy because I didn't want to mess it up, all right? So um, um, if you were to look at something like that and really observe it, it would tell you something about the creator, something much more majestic, and again, no slam to my little girl, than just the, the drawing of a five-year-old, right? That's what David is saying about creation. If you would just stop and look at the handiwork of God in creation, you would discover some things about God just by pure observation. Let me give you five. I could give you more, but I think there's at least five in the text. Jot them down. Here we go. Number one is simply his existence. The heavens are declaring and giving you data upon data, evidence upon evidence that God exists. In fact, it's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, right? In the ancient Near East, the idea of being an atheist in all sensitivity was illogical. Nobody in the ancient Near East did not believe that there was not at least a God or gods. In fact, I've told you before that there really is no such thing as an atheist. An atheist is simply somebody who has taken all the evidence they need and rejected it. It's what Romans 1 says, we have suppressed the truth and worship creation rather than the creator. Creation is screaming, God exists, God exists. Just look at the handiwork. Here's the second thing that David would tell us, is that if you would just observe creation, you would see that God is omnipresent. In verse 4, he said, the voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth that God is everywhere like light shining in darkness. It covers every crack, every hole, every cave. The presence of God is everywhere. It covers the entire earth. Here's the third thing is the splendor of God. He gives us this imagery in verse 5 of like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, right? This this idea of, of beauty and majesty and glory, right? I mean, how many of you have ever had that moment in creation? You were observing something in creation and it just took your breath away. Anybody been there? Like, would you go there right now in your mind? Are you there? That sunset? That ocean view? That moment on top of the mountain? And you, you couldn't hardly breathe. It was so majestic. David is saying that is just in a small way pointing you to the beauty of God. I mean, imagine what creation's going to be like when the curse of sin is removed. I mean, you think there's splendor and beauty now. Just imagine when the curse of sin is gone, even how more beautiful it will be. That's pointing you to the beauty, the splendor of God. The fourth thing, if you would just stop and look at creation as you'd see the power of God, the next imagery is that of a strong man who's running its course with joy. This, this idea of God's power that's just even seen in the sun. And think about all the things we see in creation about how powerful it is. I mean, my kids just a couple of days ago, remember that thunderstorm that came through, had a little bit of hail in it, right? My kids were afraid. 
They're scared even of a thunderstorm. I mean, if you think of just the power of that, imagine the power of a God who can say, and let there be, and there was. I mean, a thunderstorm is like, to God. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, again, think about that moment where you've been caught in kind of the the power of creation. Maybe it even brought up a little bit of fear in you. That's pointing you to imagine how powerful the one who created all that is. Creation is screaming as to the power and strength of our God. Number five, and lastly, is just his faithfulness. He reflects on this, the, the circuit of the sun in verse six. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, nothing hidden from its heat. This idea that the sun comes up, the sun goes down, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. It keeps going in its circuit. Now, what's that pointing you to? It's pointing you to the faithfulness of God that God is faithful every day, that God is always there every day. Look at me, friend. You say I have a hard time relating to the invisible God. The issue is not that God's not speaking. The issue is you're not listening. Glory is around you every day. But the noise of life has shut your ears and closed your eyes. You're listening to so much politics and you're listening to so much terror and you got so many things going on that the glory of God, that flowers and sunset and clouds and storms are screaming to you, you can't even see. You want to relate to the invisible God. David says he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself visually. Just look around. The evidence of his glory is everywhere to behold. He's speaking. Slow down and listen. Oh, that's a word for busy people living in suburbia in the South Metro. Stop and behold glory. Now, as great as creation is, as much as creation reveals in these first six verses, it's not enough. Think of it this way. Creation's like the nonverbal communication of God. It's declaring a lot, but it doesn't go far enough. Anybody ever had uh, or, or misinterpreted nonverbal communication? Like you thought, you know, she was kind of giving you the eye but she was actually looking straight past you or whatever, you know, or you, you thought, I'm sorry if that brings up bad memories, you thought uh, he was mad, but really he wasn't mad at all. I mean, you just kind of, you thought you could pick up on some of the nonverbal, but you got it wrong. Uh, maybe some of you've had a, a nonverbal uh, communication issue like this. Get started for you today. Express yourself. Uh-oh. What size? All right. Three vintage lunches. Uh, would you care for a pastry? Nope. Oh. Mocha. Three mocha lattes. Oof. Uh, double chocolate chip muffin. Yep. Ah, you have three Paul McCartney CDs. Awesome. Now, I love the Beatles. They are my life. Something. 
All right. Anybody ever been in that moment where you're like, no, 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 that's not what I meant, right? You're not understanding the communication that I'm giving. We got to think about that in terms of creation. Creation's good. It reveals a lot, but it doesn't go far enough. It could easily be misinterpreted like, well, what God are you talking about? Or is it multiple gods? How, how, how do you worship this God? How, how, how can you be right with Him, or can you be? You see, there's a lot of questions creation won't answer. Which is why if you want to relate to the invisible God, you've got to go to the next step. And David moves now in this psalm to the law of the Lord. That is the Scripture, the Word of God, the verbal revelation of God in Scripture. Or if you want the theological categories, it's the general revelation in creation and the specific revelation in Scripture. Right, And notice what David says about this scripture, about the law of God. He says it's perfect in verse 7. That is, it's complete. He says it's sure, that's dependable. Friends, you can take this to the bank. You can depend on the saith the Lord. Amen? Anybody with me? Come on now, the car's getting warmed up. Let's do this, right? He says it's right. That is, it's true. This is truth. He says in verse 8 that it's pure, it's without stain, it's without flaw, it's without any impurity. That this word, the, the word of God, the scriptures are pure and right and true. And because of that, here's what they can do in your life. Here's what the scripture can do. It can, number one, revive the soul, verse 7. Scripture has a way of, of breathing life into us right? Of bringing the proud to their knees, of renewing us. How many of us, Scripture has brought death into our, or brought life into our dead bones? It can revive the soul. David then says it can also make wise the simple. Now, wisdom in Scripture is simply knowing how to live life. Wisdom's a, a skill. It's not sitting in a rocking chair with a long beard, smoking a pipe, you know, that kind of a thing. It's how you live life. It's a skill. And be honest with me, how many of you look at yourself 15 years ago and think, what an idiot? <laughs> I mean, anybody, come on, be honest. Some of you are like, I don't even have to go back 15 years, all right? It's like, last week would be enough, okay? But I do that. You know, I'm 37. I look back at my 20s and I think, oh my gosh. I mean, there was a lot of foolishness in me. Anybody with me? Am I the only one? Don't make me look like an idiot here. Okay, come on. Some of you, I mean, even if you're like 85, you look back on your 70-year-old self and say, yeah, I was a little foolish, right? We can all see foolishness in us. Here's what the scripture is able to do. It's able to make you wise beyond your years. It's able to teach you about life that otherwise you would not know. And, you know, people will say to me, Pastor, um, I'd love to read the Bible, but it's just so hard. 
It's just so hard to read the Bible. Anybody ever thought that? Well, let me tell you what hard is. Hard is making decisions in your 20s that you'll regret the rest of your life. Hard is sending your children out on the wrong path. Hard is destroying your finances. Hard is destroying your relationships. You may think reading the Bible is hard, but I'll tell you a life that doesn't read the Bible is a lot harder. Let me say that again because I got like four amens and what I should have got was a preach preacher, right? Like, come on, that was good stuff. You say reading the Bible is hard. I'll tell you this. If you don't read it, life will be much harder because it's able, thank you, to make you, thank you, wise. I, I, I like this. Let's just keep this going, all right? Why don't we? All right, there's some of you, the path you're headed down is a path of foolishness. But the Word of God can get you back on the right track. It's not because God ain't speaking. It's because you ain't listening. You're listening to the foolishness of the world rather than the wisdom of God. It can revive the soul. It can make wise the simple. Notice verse 8, it can rejoice the heart. That is, for the first time in your life, you can be satisfied. You can have joy in your life regardless of the circumstances. That if your heart is dead, cold, bitter, broken, dissatisfied, that the Word of God has a way of coming and bringing joy to your heart. David says that it will enlighten the eyes. That is, it will give you vision vision and purpose and perspective on life. Uh, He talks about the fact that it will endure forever. Listen, faith family, there have been kings, there have been rulers, there have been governments, there have been people, generation after generation that have tried to get rid of the word of God. But guess what? It's still standing. The grass is going to wither, the flowers are going to fade, but the word of God is going to endure forever. No matter what you do, you can't get rid of the Scriptures. It is sure, it is right, it is pure, it revives the soul, it gives joy, it gives wisdom. David says this is what the Word of God does. And then he gives us one more. Look at verse 12. It says it can expose your sins. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What David is saying here is the the law of God has a way of exposing who we are. In fact, that's what the law was intended to do. Let me tell you this. The Bible is like a mirror, right? You look into it and you're like, ooh, I didn't know I looked like that. I I didn't know that was going on in my heart. It's why the book of Hebrews says that it's like a two-edged sword, It brings conviction. Please hear this. You do not have an accurate view of who you are. You need Scripture to expose who you really are, and it has the ability to do that. Now, why is it able to do all these things? Well, because look at whose these words are. Six times in verses 7 through 9, look at the phrase, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, and you keep going on and on. Why is it able to do these things? Let me tell you, it's very simple because these words are the very words of God. Every eye right here, I'm absolutely convinced of it. 
I'm convinced that this is not ink on a page. This is breath. Spirit of God on the page. These words are breathed out by God. They come with the very authority of God. This is not developed in a printing press. This comes from his very mouth. It's why 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. These are God's words. And because they are God's words, look at David's response then to them. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the dripplings of honey comb. In other words, these are the words of God and I cherish them more than I do gold. Let me ask you, do you treasure this book more than you do your paycheck? Do you treasure this book more than you do anything in your bank account? The, the sweetest, most enjoyable pleasure in life, do you find more pleasure in this than in those things? Let me tell you, this is going to sting a little bit, but I love you, right? I love you. If you have an issue reading God's Word, it's because you have an issue with God. Let me tell you why I know that. I know that stung. But here's why I believe it. I, I keep these old sermon manuscripts in my office. Uh, they're not mine. They're my grandfather's, who has since passed. He was a pastor for 51 years. And, man, there are scribblings and awful handwriting and, I mean, just... But I keep them. You wouldn't give me five cents for them. But I wouldn't take a million dollars. Because they're his. These aren't just words. They're my grandfather's words. And I love my grandfather dearly. And so these are valuable to me. My point is when the father is precious to you, his words will be precious to you. If I cherish these from a grandfather, how much more should I cherish these from my heavenly father? David says the inescapable conclusion when you know that this is from God is that you cherish it more than life. I'm going to push you a little bit. Um, I want to see how many elders do we have in here so I know if we're going to have a meeting right after this service, all right? <laughs> how much trouble am I about to get in? Hear me out. Will you hear me out? Um, you could come to the conclusion that God exists and he is all-powerful and he's everywhere, and he is faithful, and he is beautiful. But that's not enough. You have to get specific. But you could also believe that this is the very word of God and cherish it, and it's still not enough to relate to the invisible God. What did he just say? 
Did he just say that Scripture is not sufficient? No, that's not what I said. It's not what I said at all. At least that's not what my point is. Here is what I want us to think about for just a moment. How does God's revelation in creation and God's revelation in the Scripture come together? We get a little bit of a hint of this and how the psalm ends. Now, hang with me, because some of you, I can tell by the way you're looking at you better be going somewhere here, buddy, right? How does all this come together? Look at the last phrase in verse 19, or in, in chapter 19, verse 14. It says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, right here for just a moment, notice the progression of the psalm. We go from very, very general in terms of the revelation of God in creation, and then we get even more specific, that is the revelation of God in the Scripture and how precious it is and what it can do in our life. And then the psalm ends getting really, really, really personal, that is, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. So how does God's revelation in creation and God's revelation in Scripture come together? Well, the answer to that is, how is the Redeemer described in Scripture? What language does the Bible use to describe this Redeemer? And the New Testament couldn't be any more clear. I'm going to hold on because this is where I'm going to get real excited. Listen to these words in John 1. In the beginning was the what? You're kidding. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh. That is, the Word of God came into creation and dwelt among us, and we have seen his, oh, Psalm 19 language, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also, you're kidding, created the world. Here's the summary verse that brings it all together. He is, Jesus is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation right here. How does the visual revelation of God in creation and the verbal revelation of God in Scripture come together? How do these things unite? Answer, in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. Twelve of you, golf clap, right? Come on. That's the gospel, baby. That's the gospel. Listen, 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 listen. You can stand there in creation all you want under any waterfall you want and say, I believe God exists. I believe he's powerful. I believe he's faithful. But if you miss Jesus, you do not see or understand what creation's pointing you to. 
You can say, I believe this book is the word of God and I do. But if you don't see that this book is pointing you to a person, you don't understand what this book is about. You only relate to the invisible God through the person of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, you don't know God. Because that is what creation, that is what scripture is pointing you to. You want to know God, you struggle relating to the invisible God. Answer, Word made flesh. And that's all you ever need to know. He has revealed Himself in these last days, in this final Word, through His Son. And, and here's the... Here's the um, the, the challenge for us. Religious people, some of you are here and you would amen me off this stage of all the evidence for the existence of God. You even have the apologetic study Bible. My apologies if you actually do, all right? But I mean, you're, you're like Mr. Apologetic and you love defending the faith. That's awesome. You need to give an answer for what you believe. And you would amen me off this stage about the inerrancy and authority of the Word of God. But you're not walking daily with Jesus. And He, dear friend, is how you relate to God. For no one comes to the Father but by Him. And then there are others of you, you're resistant of all this because you don't buy into all the evidence and you can't quite understand how all the Word fits together. But here's the deal. The likelihood that you're going to come to faith simply because I give you all the logical arguments is zero. It must become personal. My rock and my redeemer. I give you three things. This is your homework assignment and we're done. Number one is this. Slow down. Slow down. Suburbia, listen to me. Slow down. You've got glory around you every day and you're missing it. The heavens are declaring the glory of God and you're not listening. Will you just simply stop and listen to the voice of God that's being screamed to you through creation? Here's the second thing. Cherish this word. May it be sweeter to you than honey. May it be more precious to you than gold. May this become an anchor of your life and a desire of your heart. And then lastly, may all those things lead you to a greater worship and knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I understand, I, I really do, I understand that it is difficult at times in life relating to a God you cannot see. But if you've ever struggled with that, the good news is God has given you Psalm 19 to sing to remind you that the invisible God has revealed Himself. 
And if you will see His glory in creation, if you will look to His Word in Scripture, and if you will walk with the Redeemer, Jesus. Let me tell you this. The invisible God won't be so invisible anymore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm. Every week, God, I just feel like this is the best psalm because it relates to needs and issues that we deal with every day. Everybody in this place today has struggled with how do I relate to you? How do I relate to God? God, thank you that by your grace you have spoken. You have revealed yourself. You have made yourself known. May we open our eyes, may we open our ears to listen, to see the ways in which you have revealed yourself. Because the most important thing in our life is that we know you, so thank you that you've made yourself known. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.